Well, good morning and welcome to worship at Calvary, wherever you might be worshiping from. If you're here in the worship center in Golden Valley, if you're at our Minnetonka campus, if you're over in the chapel, or maybe you're watching somewhere else in the world, we are so glad that you have joined us and that we can worship together in the name of Jesus. Now, in each one of our worship experiences, we take a moment to pause and it's an opportunity for us to live out our faith in a tangible way. It's a time to remember that every single thing we have belongs to God. There's nothing that we have that's ours. It really all belongs to him. He's entrusted it to our care. And so we have this privilege, we have this opportunity to give back to him, to invest into his mission. You know, Jesus modeled a life of generosity in all that he did. And so we believe an important part of following Jesus is living generously. And so if you brought a gift today that you want to invest into God's mission through the local church, it's super easy to do so. You can drop it in one of the boxes on the way out of your worship center if you're here in person, or you can go to calvary.org give, and it's super easy to get set up. And we're thankful for your partnership in the gospel. So we are in the middle of a sermon and small group series called True North. And we're looking at some of the seven I am statements that Jesus made in the Gospel of John. Jesus says some powerful things about himself that tells us what he's about, tells us what he's able to do when we invite him into our lives, when we decide to follow him forward. Now, the reality is, in this world, there is a magnetic pull that we have to deal with. It's a magnetic pull that comes from peer pressure, it comes from culture, it comes from all sorts of different influences. And it really competes with the true north that God has wired us up to live into. See, when we're not careful, we get knocked off course, and the problem with being off course, even just a little bit, is it leads to more pain and more struggle and more problems in our life. Now, back in 1979, there was a plane that took off from New Zealand with 259 passengers, and it was a sightseeing flight. So they were gonna fly from New Zealand, and then they were gonna go over Antarctica. And they could take pictures, I guess, and they could see the beautiful scenery. So they started to fly towards Antarctica, and the pilots did not realize that their coordinates were two degrees off. Now, that might not sound like a big deal, but it meant that when they got to what they thought was their intended destination, they were 28 miles off course. Now, up until that point, they had been flying in the clouds, there wasn't much to see, and so they started to come down so that the passengers could get their pictures and could see the scenery, and suddenly they realized the horrible situation they were in because they were directly in front of a mountain called Mount Erebus, which is a volcano of 12,000 feet. And tragically, the plane flew right into the side of the mountain, killing everyone on board this plane. And you see, that tragedy was brought about by just a very small error of just a few degrees. Now, I'm willing to bet that most of you have never flown a plane off, off course before. But if you're at all like me, there are many times that you can point to in your life where 
your choices or your priorities or your motivations have taken you maybe just a little bit off a true north. And oftentimes when we get off course like that, it leads us into very dark places. Now it's into that reality in how we often find ourselves in the dark of this world that Jesus says in John 12, 46. He says, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. I think most people on earth would agree that our world can be a very, very dark place. There are wars, there's poverty, hunger, greed, division, political animosity and scandals. There's all sorts of terrible things being done each and every day that we we hear about in the news and we hear about from other people. But the thing is, I think we often become numb to some of those things because they're just ever present. Maybe sometimes it feels kind of abstract. It's happening somewhere else to other people, but we also need to realize that there's darkness in our own lives. Selfishness, loneliness, hopelessness, worry, insecurity, conflict. There's darkness all around us. The world is engulfed in a spiritual darkness and people are looking anywhere to find a way out. In fact, it's the theme of so many movies today, how people are walking in darkness trying to find a way into the light. In fact, I saw something online a while back that just were screenshots from the different Batman movies that have come out in the past two or three decades. And progressively, the movies get darker and darker and darker just in how they look to the point where if there's like three or four more, it's just gonna be a pitch black screen at this point. See, we live in a world full of darkness. But it's into that darkness that Jesus comes and he says in the Gospel of John, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. In him, there is a new reality. Now, people are instinctively attracted to light. You know, when someone takes a picture with a flash, suddenly everybody's eyes are drawn to the light. When a spotlight turns on on a stage, everyone's eyes are drawn to the light. The prophet Isaiah even wrote about this. He said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. You know, people today might be turned off by organized religion because of the hypocrisy of leaders the hypocrisy of followers. But there's still something about Jesus that captivates people. He's an irresistible light in the darkness. And so in John chapter three, there's a powerful religious leader named Nicodemus who comes to have a conversation with Jesus because he is drawn to his light. Now, John points out in this story that Nicodemus purposefully comes by the cover of darkness. It symbolizes his skepticism. He wants to hide from others. He wants to hide his own condition. And as he's talking to Jesus, Jesus quotes 
a verse that shows up in many football games in the end zone. John 3.16. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It might be one of the most recognized verses in all of scripture. But I think oftentimes we stop there. We don't look at the context around it. Because you see, right after this verse, this powerful verse, Jesus talks about light. And then he talks about darkness. And then he talks about his mission. And so that's what I wanna look at with you this morning. Now what you need to know about John, the writer of this gospel, is that he was a master of using symbolism and imagery to teach his audience about Jesus and his truth. And so John uses these tangible things like water and bread and light and darkness to teach about Jesus. And so right after this passage or this verse, John 3, 16, we're told a very brief history of humanity, how people are constantly fleeing from the light and that God is desperately, relentlessly pursuing people with his light. And that light is found in his son, Jesus. Now darkness here in John symbolizes first evil and sinfulness. Look at verse 19. It says, light has come into the world, but people loved the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Back in John 3.16, it says, God so loved the world. In Greek, the word is cosmos, a, a word we've all heard before. But every other time John uses the word cosmos in his gospel, it refers to everything that is hostile to God. In fact, a better translation would actually be the God-hating world. And really, that's the story of our world. Now, maybe the world won't say, well, we hate God, but they hate the concept of God because it means that we're under another authority. It means we're not in control. It means we are not God ourselves. God loved the God-hating world. You see, once we walk in darkness, it's so hard to break free. You might remember a number of years ago, the story of Bernie Madoff with that incredible Ponzi scheme and all the people he defrauded. And I remember there was an interview done where he said he knew many, many years before he was caught that one day he would be caught. Like he just knew it was not going to end well but he was so far into the darkness that he continued to defraud people. He continued to steal from people all the way to the end. In the same way, we grow accustomed to living in the darkness. It's just like our eyes adjust to a dark room and eventually we get used to it. We adapt and we adjust to the point where the darkness feels like home. But light is always more powerful than the darkness. I remember a few years ago, we were down in Tucson, Arizona, and we visited this gigantic cave. 
And as part of the tour, we got into this massive cavern where they turned out every light and it was absolutely pitch black. And then the guide took out the smallest candle, like a birthday cake candle, and lit that candle and it illuminated the entire room. Even the smallest bit of light overcomes and defeats the darkness. So God so loved the world that he sent the light. He flipped the light switch. God showed his love and his desire for a relationship with us in sending Jesus. And the light that Jesus brings defeated darkness and sin and evil once and for all on the cross. John 3.16 again says, God so loved the God-hating world that he gave his only son. The word gave means he freely gave him over to his death as an ultimate sacrifice. Now the two verses before John 3.16, Jesus directly refers to what's about to happen in his ministry. So he says in verses 14 and 15, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And you might say, well, what in the world is this about snakes and Moses? Well, he's referring to something that happened in the Old Testament in the book of Numbers, chapter 21, where the Israelites were unfaithful to God. They were disobedient. They were rebellious to him. And so as punishment, God sent poisonous snakes into their camp, which sounds absolutely terrible, right? Well, when you were bit by a poisonous snake, what you were told to do was to look up at a statue of a serpent up on a pole. And that act of obedience and belief and trust in God would bring healing. So Jesus says in much the same way, he himself must be lifted up. Now think about the imagery here. Jesus is to be lifted up on a cross. He's to be lifted up in the resurrection on Easter. He's to be lifted up when he ascends into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father. Just like the Israelites who were in judgment, we too need to believe in him and his promises. We too need to follow him, to look to the cross, to believe that God will heal and that he will rescue us from the darkness. And there's this amazing parallel here where in the Old Testament, the snake personified sin. Now Jesus himself personifies and takes upon himself your sins and mine. And it reminds us again of our situation, that we are completely helpless on our own and we are completely hopeless on our own. I heard a story about a class, a college class, that was taking a final exam. And the professor told the class they could bring as much information to this final exam with them as they could fit on one notebook piece of paper. 
So you can imagine how these students went back to their dorm or to the library, and they tried to write in the smallest print possible to fit every possible word they could on an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. So the day came for the final exam, everyone came with their piece of paper, and then one student showed up with a blank piece of paper. But what they did is they put it on the ground and they brought a graduate student with to stand on top of the paper. And that student was the only one to get 100% on the exam. So every one of us will have the ultimate final exam. The day when we will stand before God and he will ask, why should I let you in? And the truth is, on our own, we cannot pass that exam. It doesn't matter how many books we've read. It doesn't matter how many theological terms we can explain. All of our attempts to earn eternal life will fall short. But here's the good news. We have someone who will stand in for us. Someone who is the light of the world. And his name is Jesus. Well, darkness in the Gospel of John is also symbolic of how we try and hide our sinfulness. Look at John 3.20. It says, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Every one of us becomes a pretty good actor we're able to put on a pretty convincing show. We don't want people to really know what we're thinking, maybe what we say when no one's looking or what we do when no one's looking. So the prospect of God shining a light into the darkness of our lives can be awfully scary. I mean, what would other people think? What would God think? Could he still love someone like me. You see, the light comes and it exposes our sinfulness and our evil deeds, and it can be painful. I remember years ago visiting Alcatraz, the famous prison, and part of the tour was to go down to the solitary confinement cells, the part that's called the hole. And I remember the worst part of solitary confinement was these tiny little cells where prisoners would be put and there was absolutely no light at all. Except for a couple times a day, a guard would come with a meal and would open up a tiny little slot to shove the plate in. But that was the only time that they would see any light. And the prisoners talked about how that light was painful. It was like a two by four hitting them in the head. Many of them would try to hide themselves in a corner with their face turned away so that they wouldn't feel or be exposed to the light. You see, even though the light of God's truth and who he is can be painful because of our sins, ultimately the light shows us our need for a savior. Think about when you're driving your car at night and you're in maybe a back road and it's pitch black and everything is great until you get to a street light and suddenly you realize how disgusting your windshield is. 
You know, like you see all the smashed bugs and all the dirt that's built up. Until the light is there, we don't see all the junk that's accumulated. But then once you drive back into the darkness again, it looks great, it looks clean. We see the light of Christ exposes our sinfulness. But the good news about the light of Christ is it's also a healing light. Jesus conquered the darkness and he invites us into a new way of living. It means giving up the comfort and the familiarity of the darkness. He says, believe and trust in me. Come into the light. Step out in faith. Jesus says in John 3.16, whoever believes in me, whoever comes into his light will have eternal life. Now the thing about eternal life is it's not somewhere out on the horizon. It's a present reality. It's not a future prospect. It's a transforming reality today. But what I want you to notice also is that the words whoever believes is not something that's once and done. It's an active verb. We need to continually believe. We need to continually be born again. We need to actively encounter and engage with the truth of Jesus. It's a real relationship. It's about becoming an active follower, taking steps of faith. And you see, the light helps us find direction in this dark world. The light of Christ points us to true north. Now, when we're surrounded by darkness, it can be hard to see what God is up to. Maybe we just see all the negatives around us or within us. And when we try and hide from the light, we miss out on God's good plans and his grace and his mercy that he wants to shower us with. But when we come into the light, well, then we have help and we have guidance. We have forgiveness and grace. In John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Have you ever walked in the woods in the darkness? Have you ever tried to walk down a trail into the darkness? I was the president of an outdoor club when I was in college, so we went on lots of camping trips. One of our favorite things to do is to do a midnight hike. It usually went pretty well, but there was one time that we were walking on a boardwalk at a state park somewhere up by Alexandria. And I remember walking along until we heard a scream and someone fell off the boardwalk into the bog which was bad enough, but what made it worse is they were sharing a tent with me and it was the worst smell that you've ever smelled. <laughs> it's hard to walk in the darkness. God never intended us to walk through life alone or to try to figure it out on our own. See, life is not a code that needs to be cracked. It's not a secret that needs to be discovered no, Jesus promises to light our path and lead us in the right direction. He'll point us to true north. 
Now, this might not always be the easiest path or the most obvious path or the most attractive path, but he will keep you safe and he will keep you from the darkness. Again, when he says in John 8, 12, whoever follows me, it's an active verb. Again, not just something to check off the list, but something to engage in and live out each and every day. We have a choice each day to follow him or to wander back into the darkness. When our son Soren was just a little boy, we wanted to make sure that he knew what to do if he was lost. You know, so we had to memorize our phone number and our address. But I remember one night, we went out for an evening walk on some of the trails by our house, and we were quite a ways from our house. And so finally, I asked him, I said, how far are we from home? He said, I don't know. And a little bit later, I said, you know, do you know where you are? I'm like, nah, I don't know. And I was like, okay, we got to get this, the seriousness of this into him. I said, uh, Soren, it, it sounds to me like you're lost right now. And he just grinned back and he said, nope, I can't be lost when I'm with you. And you see, that's the reality of our walk with Jesus. When we follow him, we can never be lost. He is our true north. He's the light we need in the darkness. And so finally, there's one more great thing about the light. You see, the light can be reflected. You see, that's our mission as followers of Jesus. Our job, our mission is to reflect his light. Now, we're not supposed to be the light. That's way too much responsibility. No, we're simply to reflect his light. Maybe think of it this way. There was a nine-year-old boy who went with his parents to Europe one summer. Now, part of the tour was to visit all sorts of great cathedrals in the countries they went to. So he went to cathedral after cathedral, and he saw the massive stained glass windows of disciples and other saints. He was so impressed standing before these great works of art in these empty halls of worship, these beautiful stained glass windows, So upon the return, he was asked by a Sunday school teacher what he liked most about all of these great churches they visited throughout Europe. And his mind went back to those massive, beautiful stained glass windows. And he said, well, my favorite part were these pictures, these beautiful pictures of the saints. And so the teacher then asked, well, how would you describe a saint? Well, you really had to think for a while now. And he went back again and he pictured those stained glass windows and he said, a saint is someone God shines light through. You see, that's what we are to do. We're to be people whom God shines his light through. Look at Ephesians 5, verse 8. It says, for once you were full of darkness. I mean, that's just the simple reality without God's intervention, without our relationship with Jesus. Once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. It's not our own light. It's not something deep within us. It's light from Jesus. Then look at the next verse. So live as people of light. 
For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. See, the good news, church, is that God has turned on the lights in this world by sending Jesus. And then it's our job to reflect his light to others. And when his light is reflected into the darkness, the darkness doesn't stand a chance. Jesus is the light of the world. And his light is laser focused towards true north. So one bit of application for you as you go from this place, you go into the rest of your day, the rest of your week. I think we have an opportunity as followers of Jesus to ask ourselves again and again, am I bringing light into this situation? Am I bringing the light of Christ into this interaction I'm having at work or at school or in my neighborhood? Am I bringing light to this relationship? Am I bringing light to this disagreement? Man, I, it would feel so much better to bring darkness and to just you know, whack them. But no, we have an opportunity to bring light into disagreements. How about, am I bringing light into social media? Am I bringing light into wherever God is calling me to be? Or am I just casting a shadow? Am I just spreading more darkness? Let's be a church that reflects the light of Christ. Wherever we go, in this community and around the world. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we give you thanks that you have turned on the light in the darkness through Jesus. God, you know that we become accustomed. We get used to walking in the darkness. We come up with all sorts of great stories and excuses and ways that we just become comfortable in the darkness of this world. And so help us to follow Jesus. Help us to turn up the light your light in our lives. Help us to stay focused on true north through you. And God, I pray for every person worshiping with us today that in every interaction, every relationship, every argument, every disagreement, every social media post, and everything else you call us into this week, that we would reflect your light that people would see your love and your grace and your forgiveness radiating from us, not because of who we are, but because of who you are. God, we're thankful that you call us to be a part of your mission, to follow you closely. And so help us to trust you more. And so God, we pray these prayers in the powerful name of Jesus. And let's all say together, amen.